Well, the nice thing is when Kikuchi leaves early, you can bring in Trevor Richards and he'll allow a home run and all of the runners will score. No, the best strategy is to score nine runs a game. No questions asked. <laughs> <laughs> Strikes, Tony! <laughs> Tony, what are you doing? Oh, it's just it's so loud. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 239, where we always ask for a replay review every single episode from you, our favorite listener. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, of course, by the amazing, the spectacular. The, what was the other, the, uh, what's the other Spider-Man adjective I'm missing? Yes. Joshua Housem. How are you <laughs> the doing friendly in the neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, the friendly neighborhood Joshua Housem. That's what we have tonight, folks. Uh, oh. Yeah. How you doing? I'm good. You? Good. Well, we, we got a winning team on our hands, so of course I'm good for this, for our purposes here. We got uh, call up Gabriel Moreno uh, and all of his skills. So many skills to talk about. We have... Hyunjin Ryu and his ills, which I think we predicted like two episodes ago. <laughs> this is where we were going to be. And look at that. Um, we got to talk about Nate Pearson possibly stepping into some of the gap uh, and Ross Stripling fill, filling a different gap that was uh, also created in this pitching staff and how that might all shake out. Um, Julian Merriweather back down to the minors because... You told me he should spend more no, time. No, he's in the hurt box. again. Oh, he's hurt again. Oh, never mind. I thought that was Gage who twisted his ankle, but Merriweather's hurt. What? Yeah, yeah Merriweather had no oblique injury again. So, <sighs> uh, you say Kikuchi and Trevor Richards are the bane of our existence. Uh, Kevin Biggio looks like he has found his plate discipline, but not his home run power. We should probably chat about that. And generally, everybody else on this team has remembered what what skill level they are at as a major league hitter, I think. Um, certainly enough to put some runs on the board. We have your questions. We have a do-over for the Orioles who used a challenge and won it in the stupidest way possible. <laughs> and Liam Hendricks, who uh, is just a, a stand-up guy. And I think uh, we're going to talk about what, what being an LGBTQIA ally is all about. So we shall begin with, with the new hotness. Uh... Gabriel, is it Gabriel or Gabriel? I think it's Gabriel Moreno. Yeah. Gabriel Moreno. Uh, three hits last night. After the night we're recording this is, of course, uh, Wednesday, the 15th. Um, good, good, what is it, third game for a three-hit game? I think he's he's yeah. uh, he's coming up to speed pretty quick. Yeah, so he got a hit in his debut, a solid single in the ninth inning. So he's now four for 11 with, a, I think it's a walk. And... You know, four for eleven with a walk. He's only struck out once. He and he 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 hit a ball in that game again. The the one where he got the three hits. It was a slider down and in, and he just went down and got it and drove it the other way, which showed his his incredible bat to ball skills. There's a lot of Alejandro Kirk actually in his approach at the plate, and we, that's going great being an Alejandro Kirk. So <laughs> yeah, now Kirk will walk a bit more, but. The, the general, like, just being able to swing out and hit everything, that's kind of the same skill. Um, but he has skills on the other side 
of the ball, which is what? Like, I know they don't apparently measure pop time on StatCast anymore because they I, do actually. Oh, they do again. Yeah. But my Lord, how fast does he get rid of a pitch when he's throwing to second base? He hit it one eight, one point eight. So if you if you drop the filter down to one attempt because he's well he's had a few now but he is second in baseball behind jt real muto jt real muto who has led baseball the, for the last four years each of each of the last four years real muto has finished number one moreno is right there with him in his few attempts so far this season and and accurate throws uh the one that he had the first throw i saw him make was was on the bag just uh bichette didn't didn't grip it in his glove. Like the umpire even called the runner out <laughs> till he found the ball elsewhere. Um, that was the first one I saw. And then I watched the highlight from last night. It's just a this one blurred motion from receiving the pitch to releasing the ball. There's, there's so much going on in that 1.8 seconds. Yeah. So that's one of the interesting things about Moreno is that he, Gets rid of the ball very fast, like extremely fast. The one you're talking about, Jorge Mateo was the runner. On the you know, Satcast reports things by percentiles. He's in the 100th percentile for sprint speed. He's the fastest man in baseball. <laughs> and Moreno was down on a knee before the pitch, and he popped up and threw him out with ease because he gets rid of the ball so fast and has above average arm. Uh, he's still on the receiving end of things. There's still some work to be done there. He's not. No, he's probably the worst catcher of the three young ones. I don't count Zach Collins because he's the worst in, you know, Period. all of organized baseball. <laughs> but because Ryan Dumit hasn't been playing for the last 10 years. But he's so Moreno has some work to do there, but he's a great blocker and his and just an unbelievable throwing catcher. I mean, I mean, he's just so much better than the other two guys on the team. And neither of them is that bad. Catching is such a multifaceted job i think we you know we forget how complicated it is like how many different skill sets you have to put together that no no catcher at 20 whatever years old any of these three catchers are is going to have all of those put together by the point he reaches the big leagues well i mean just look at what kirk was last year versus what he is this year i mean he's take he's taken huge strides in his receiving this year you can see the skills there Last year, especially on the low ball. And that's what Moreno has basically learned to do this year is to receive that low ball. And then Kirk was able to bring that same approach to receiving to the corners. And Moreno's not there yet. But again, like he's really young and he's a rookie. So these are skills that are learnable, which makes it very interesting <laughs> what, what this guy could be as a defender. Yeah. And, and the bat plays. Uh from for, for all intents and purposes. So I'm, you know, I, I really do believe that between Kirk and Moreno, you, you absolutely have to have one catcher of the future in there. Poor Danny Jansen, right? Like, <laughs> oh, well, got, yeah, no, absolutely. he just can't stay healthy. So he keeps get, getting these young guys to get chances and steal his job, even though he's playing really well. Yeah, yeah, like as we discussed, if if you if you extend it out over a year, Danny Jansen is the greatest catcher in baseball with only less than 100 plate appearances. Three's hitter <laughs> period. Yeah, hitter, hitter <laughs> in baseball with less than 100 plate appearances. Uh yeah, so I mean, you could you can only do 
what you could do while you're on the field. So uh, at some point, one of those pieces has to move. But until all three are healthy for an extended period of time, I don't I don't think that's a question that anybody has to answer because Moreno does have more learning to do uh, at his age. Um, so it's it's not a crime to keep him in AAA for for the rest of the season if everyone else was healthy. No, no. And it'll be interesting what they do because rosters have to drop down or not drop, but the Blue Jays will have to no longer carry 14 pitchers as of actually later this week, assuming they don't extend it again because they, <laughs> there's no consistency to the way they've been doing this. But if they actually stick to it, it sounds like Zach Collins will come back up and be third catcher, part-time DH. But given that, the, the fact that they're still willing to go with a third catcher even when Jansen's not there, I think there's a good chance that Moreno would stay up if he shows that he belongs. I mean, obviously he's only played three games, so well, he looks I, good in the first three. But if he, you know, by the time Jansen's back, if he's just hit the ground running and he's a major league catcher, they're not going to send him down, I don't think. I think you have that that legitimate developmental question right on the receiving side and the and the pitch calling side, um, where if he's not getting the reps. Because you can't like Kirk is going to DH sometimes, but now you have Jansen who wants to play every day, et cetera, et cetera. I think, you know, maybe maybe a half season in AAA, even if he's hitting well, is helping him in the long run, and the team isn't losing anything by carrying uh, two two catchers who are both well, who were the best, the best catching duo offensively in baseball when before Jansen got hurt. Yeah, so the the DH thing is the interesting part of that. Before the season, you would have said, well, just Kirk will be the DH and those guys will share catching. But Kirk has turned into such a good defensive catcher that that's not really a viable strategy anymore. So I, I do agree that sending him down might be the developmental best choice, but I wouldn't be surprised if they kept him up, if he's just hitting. And they'll find ways to get him in the lineup as the DH or whatever. Right. All right. So now we should talk about the guy who he will not be catching all season, Yenjin Ryu. Because Hyunjin Ryu has some kind of ligament damage, which may require Tommy John, but will certainly require surgery, and his season is over. Yeah, so he's either out 9 to 12 months if it's just a, a repair, and, and then he's out the 12 to 16 months that Tommy John is if he needs Tommy John. Um, obviously, from a fan perspective, we hope it's the former, because... Look, Ryu has been a very good Blue Jay, and you don't want that guy to basically, you know, if he's missing a year and a half going into his age 36 season, that's going to be really tough for him. And honestly, I just like to see him pitch for the Blue Jays again. Yeah, because 16 months out, the, the Blue Jays are going to have to have already filled that hole in the rotation before the start of next season, right? It, yep. He won't even get a, really a look in spring other than the fact that he's making a whole lot of money. So he'll get a look to see if someone wants wants to try and trade for him for, you know, a part of a season or, or, you know, he can catch on somewhere else. But yeah, I think it's, I, I think a lot of free agent contracts end up with unfortunate tail ends and I hope it isn't as unfortunate as it could be in this case. Uh, because I agree it, it, there were a lot of impressive things to watch with Yunjin Ryu as a blue Jay. Um, and, and he was a fun player, you know, to have around and it just, you know, it really has not worked out the past half season plus however many starts he managed to make this year. No. So stepping into his role is the unbeatable Ross Stripling. 
I mean, we talked about the five innings of, I believe, one hit ball from last podcast. And then he went in through six of also one hit ball to follow up. So it was five innings, then six innings. And yeah. he's faced he's faced one over the minimum in his two starts and stepping in for Ryu. In 11 innings, he's faced one yeah. batter over the minimum. <laughs> I mean, he's facing the Royals and the Tigers, so it wasn't exactly world-beating offenses. But, I mean, no one else on the Blue Jays did that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, we're going to talk about someone else who, who failed miserably to limit anyone to uh, – you know, no hits and no walks. So uh, he's he has excellent control. Um, he's attacking hitters. Uh, he's giving up, obviously, uh, weak contact. And he's stretched out to the point where he can give you... Well, I mean, if he faces the minimum and you only want him to go two, th- two times through the order, obviously he's not going to do that every time. But he can give you, for sure, five innings uh, against a non-New York team... Pretty much every turn through. Isn't that what you want out of your back-end starter? I mean, Boston, too, given what happened last year. But It's a different Boston <laughs> team. It's a totally different Boston. It's almost exactly <laughs> the same. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, you cannot ask for more than he has done. And you, the thing about the control, I think, is the big one. One of the issues that Stripling had previously was that He's got this control, but he didn't have the right pitch mix to be able to throw in the zone very often. So he could – so he got hit if he tried to throw too many strikes. And if he threw too many balls, he'd get hit and more runs with scores. Kind of a lose-lose. And then he found his pitch mix again by throwing this changeup more, which keeps hitters off balance. He's throwing a ton to right-handed batters even. And like it's like one of those things where like – you assume it works until you see it not work, right? Obviously, like it's ninety-one to ninety-three on the fastball. It's not, it's not anything that's going to be overly terrifying for hitters to see. But the everything is also kind of in the same general velocity band. His slider's eighty-nine. You know, his his changeup is in the mid eighties. So it, it it does make it a lot harder to recognize pitches. And I can hear Tabler salivating every time you say he throws the changeup to righties. Um, but it works. Uh, and as long as it works, the Blue Jays do not have a, a pitching depth emergency. Uh, they do have a pitching depth situation, though, because their very reliable long man has to be replaced by someone. And that someone is probably not Trent Thornton, if you want to use the word reliable over and over again. Um, Although he's that, certainly starting to make a case for that, <laughs> he's pitching so well. But yes, I agree. He's still trying. He's still he still walks too many hitters for for that to be fully trustworthy. So you you have a note here that the person who might be groomed for that role is the Pearson. <laughs> Get it? Uh, that was not an intentional pun. Is Nate Pearson? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually. Uh, so this was this came out today. It was reported by I think it was Mitch Bannon. I don't want to get that wrong. It was Mitch Bannon who works with uh, Sports Illustrated. Said that Charlie Montoya said that Nate Pearson's rehab, they're going to stretch him out to three innings and get him on shorter than four days rest between outings, which sure sounds like a bulk <laughs> reliever long man to me. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they did this given that Ryu is gone down and the depth starter now if someone else gets hurt is Thomas Hatch. Maximo Castillo, Casey Lawrence, Anthony Kay. Like it's, I don't trust any of those guys. Um, are they just doing what they did with Stripling? Putting him, trying to get him to the majors, trying to use him for more innings than they would 
you know, in a one inning, late inning role. And then if someone gets hurt, they're only two starts away from stretching him out to fill in in the rotation. I do think so, um, especially because if he can go three or four, then you know, five, five not is a big, not a stretch. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, now, the, the other thing there, too, is that, as you said, they do need another long man, especially with Yusei Kikuchi pitching so poorly. They need someone who can bridge those gaps. Like, you know, so Thornton isn't pitching well, right? If Thornton pitches the day before and or two days before and can't come back on a long reliever role again, they need another guy who can give them some innings that can pitch well. And I think that would be Nate Pearson. Um, let's talk about Yusei Kikuchi since you mentioned him. Just why isn't he any better? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, so I, I part of me, I was going to say I was wondering if maybe the changes they've made to his repertoire and his and his leg kick and stuff like that have affected his control, except he was walking people like crazy before they did that. And that's part of why they did it. And I don't really understand because he's got he's far away the highest walk rate of his career. It's almost double his average walk rate. And well, not not double, but like 60 percent higher. That's just you can't explain something like that. You know, if you see a guy has velocity dip as he's entering his 30s, only 31 or stuff dip. But none of that's the case. He's striking out more batters per inning than he normally does. And he's given up the same hits. It's like everything else is the same, except he's walking way more guys. So I don't this, know. This I, I, I wish I had look, an answer, but I don't. Like to me, it does not look like a guy who's nibbling at the corners. It looks like a guy who just loses his delivery and then sometimes can get it back and sometimes doesn't at all. But when he when he uh, doesn't have the delivery, it's just a walk fest. And then when he finally gets in the zone, they're sitting on whatever fastball he's got. As good a fastball as it is, if you've watched you know, two guys walk in the inning and he's trying to, to get something over, it's pretty easy to sit on, especially if you're a good team, um, you know, like Minnesota or, or, or whichever. Like I'm just – but I'm blown away by how much he, uh, for a pitcher of his age, can lose the zone – and lose his command completely. It's, it's not like he's trying to get cute with things. Yeah. So I don't know. It's one of those things that there is potentially some sort of regression that should happen, right? Because it's like, I remember when the Jays traded for Francisco Liriano, he was having a year like this with Pittsburgh where he just was not finding the strike zone for like, he was never a control pitcher, just like Kikuchi, right? Like, these guys were never guys that were finding the zone. Like Ryu, but they would walk a manageable amount of hitters and for some reason were walking a very unmanageable amount. And then they just found it again because they're they're veterans and that's what happens. So I do expect some regression positively there. But, you know, I, who knows when that's going to happen. Well, the nice thing is when Kikuchi leaves early, you can bring in Trevor Richards and he'll allow a home run and all of the runners <laughs> will score. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm horrible. I'm not very nice at all. <laughs> well, the thing is, yeah, Trevor Richards has has been the first guy out, out after Kikuchi twice. And then against Kansas City, it was Thornton and then Trevor Richards. He's given up multiple runs in each of those games. So Kikuchi pitches poorly, then Trevor Richards just puts the game out of hand. That's what's happened each time. And they have to stop going to Trevor Richards after Kikuchi because he's just not good anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about this last time, how he just walks too many guys for someone who gives up so many homers. And he, he's sort of 
tricked us last year. I don't want really, to, there's nothing really to add to that. He's just not pitching well and should not be pitching if the game is within any kind of reach. Yeah. And, and Yusei Kikuchi has generally left the game somehow within reach. Um, I, I, yeah. Charlie just has to have, uh, have another option for when the game is close, but the, but the Jays are behind in the early innings. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, that option that is could not, be Nate Pearson. Yeah, it <laughs> could hopefully. Be. That option is not Julian Merriweather because uh, Julian Merriweather is, as you said off the top, hurt again. Yeah. That's not the loss that it would have been back in April of 2021 when we thought he was going to be a, you know, a world beater. But it is sad for Julian Merriweather. Yeah, it's another oblique injury, which, I mean, last year's oblique injury kept him out for, what, four months? Yeah, I mean, it's the guy just can't stay healthy. Now, unfortunately, that's the case. He's never stayed healthy as a pro. And at some point, you just have to assume that that's just how it's going to be, and you can't count on that guy anymore. Yeah, you, you go looking somewhere else, um, which the Blue Jays keep poking around looking for someone uh, who can fill the one-inning role reliably uh, when, they're, when it's not the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning, because we know who those guys are. Uh, Tim Mays is back, though, right? He is. I mean, that's good news. <laughs> we haven't had much good pitching news other than Stripling, so. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really nice. having. We mentioned last time that he was coming back and what a difference that makes in in the in the performance of this bullpen because he's another reliable pitcher of which there are few so and he came back and he looked exactly the same as he did before he left so good <laughs> so it's very nice <laughs> thank goodness um another guy who you uh you and i think looks in some ways like he's supposed to like he did before he left is um cabin Biggio. he actually looks like like 2020 cabin Biggio, taking a lot of walks uh, he does have some doubles power. He's he's a, a more valuable hitter than he was all of last year. Yeah, so since he's returned, he's hitting 286 with a 434 on base and a 452 slugging with 11 walks in 453 play appearances and 14 strikeouts because that's what he's going to do. The batting average is probably a bit of a mirage. He's not going to hit 286 usually, but if he can keep hitting walks, getting walks the way he is and allow them to deploy him with some trust against certain types of pitchers, he becomes just a much more valuable bench option than some of the guys that they've had. Well, especially since you can bat him ninth and and taking a walk so that George Springer gets another plate appearance is like the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, even yeah, though, it makes you know, a big difference. He's not driving in a run with that walk necessarily, but he's ex he is literally extending the lineup um, more often than than you know anybody else in that position would uh, by getting on base forty three percent of the time, which is, I mean, that's again you as as you said, it's probably not going to keep up that high, but but a number nine hitter, number eight hitter, whichever, who gets on base more than you know at a more than a three fifty clip is an asset. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't have to hit for power to be an asset if he's a part time player. Yeah, so like I said, he has no home runs yet. Um, that's a bit surprising, but also not a theory. He, did, he he was a guy who required every single inch of his home runs before. So, yeah, it, like it's just 
it just a useful player if he can do that because he can play first, he can play second, he can play left, he can play right. And if they, I mean, they, he'll never have to play third because they just move Espinal to third and put Biggio at second. So, yeah, it's just it's just really nice to have a guy like that off the bench, not starting. Uh, the good news is literally everybody else is hitting, and they're doing it right now as we're recording this podcast again. Sure are. <laughs> this inning, ground out single, pop out, home run, single, home run. <laughs> okay, and then a, a pop up that. Rudin Odor didn't catch, and but they threw Grigel out anyway because he was jogging at first. But so since in the last three weeks, you know this is obviously a very small random sample. I just picked it because it was round. It was often after an off day, but the team is hitting 317 with a 384 on base and a 546 slugging. That's the entire team has a 929 OPS. <laughs> the only hitters who are under 845 <laughs> are Moreno who's had 12 plate appearances and he's at 780 Jansen who's hurt and Bradley Zimmer who sucks. And they are playing admittedly not good teams, but that's fine. Yeah. You but need, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You need to beat up. Not good. That's why they're not good teams. They allow a lot of runs. If you're, if you're making them look like they're good, then you have a much bigger problem. So, you know, do I expect them to score seven runs a night now against the Yankees with, with that pitching staff? No, uh, but do I expect them to be much more competitive uh, now that they have, you know, obviously got their timing down and and a better approach at the plate because they've had some success and they know they know where they're at in the middle of the season? Yes, um, it's also a lot of fun. I mean, it's way more fun to watch a team pop up nine, ten runs or to was that seven hits in the one inning without a, without a home run the other night when they batted around. Yep. Just, just like sledgehammers to the opposing pitcher two pitching changes in one inning tells you a lot yeah and you know like we're talking about a team that last year got shut out three times all season and was shut out three times by may 15th this year and you know there were some questions about what was going on with the offense you don't actually you just don't expect that to happen again um obviously look they they, they will get shut out again at some point in the season probably but like you said, you just expect them to put up a much better fight against better pitchers after what seeing what they're doing to these not better pitchers. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it it's uh, we could go over a bunch of the guys, but every I think we would have to go through every single guy and say what he's doing better. So we're just we're just gonna we're gonna cover it roundabout. Everybody's yeah, I, having fun. <laughs> I just want to highlight just a couple guys very quickly. Sure. Not, I mean, I'm going to death with them, but just what the difference it makes to the offense. Guriel, Tapia, and Chapman are all hitting. And when they are doing that, it just – you can't pitch to this lineup because yeah. the guys at the top are all so much better. Yep. You, you lose a lot of games as the lineup rolls over to give you know Springer, Bichette, and Guerrero another another go at it. Um, even if – yeah, even if, if it's not perfect, it, it extends the lineup and it's – I mean, it's the way the team was built, right? It was built to be a long lineup um, with a couple of superstars at the top. Yep. All right. On that note, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a breather. We're going to come back with your questions. And I realize we probably have a second do-over that was so long ago. But we'll, we'll discuss it on the break with Josh and I. We'll be back.
I was right. We do actually have another do-over. We're, we're going to keep it in our pocket until we actually need it. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to uh, answer very important questions from our listeners. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? First question comes from Al at Ellie Ellie Hart. Uh, Josh had mentioned how when Guriel is hitting, it has an outsized impact because offense is exponential. If this is accurate, wouldn't that suggest adding more hitting is disproportionately valuable? The more you have, and therefore the best strategy is, in fact, hashtag nine runs. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. You want to argue <laughs> with that? <laughs> no, the best strategy is to score nine runs a game. No questions asked. <laughs> Nobody's uh, ever, so ever proven it doesn't get you to the World Series, right? No, <laughs> so, and th this is sort of what the Jays did last year when it was like, they need to get more pitching. They need to get more pitching. And then they signed Semyon or they did in like 2015. <laughs> the first move they made was traded for Tulowitzki, right? Yep. Um, now, there was a defensive element to that, too. But if you can get more hitting, you should get more hitting always because it, it is an exponential thing. It, like if every time someone gets a hit, it brings a good hitter back up to the plate and then more runs can score. That's just basic it's a really basic thought process that said you do need pitching and defense so the other team doesn't have exponential hitting so uh, yeah exponential hitting on both sides that's that's tricky bit that's a little wrinkle yeah there's no allow nine runs uh corollary to that um bk at bk underscore bkuh underscore says rank the bullpen arms in order of your own trust level in them okay so first i have to know who's actually on the current in the current bullpen because it keeps changing. Uh, okay, so Matt Gage is still in there. Okay, so is Jeremy Beasley. Uh, so eight, nine. Do we? Do I need uh, to really rank nine people? Okay. No, it's okay. The the, the so the, so I'm gonna go with I'm gonna put ten because there's two Adam Simbers in this. <laughs> yeah, there's Adam Simber with guys on base, and there's Adam Simber with the bases empty. <laughs> right. No, but that's actually a thing. I know. I trust Adam Simber completely. Like he would be number three behind to me, behind Romano and Meza. But he's just a ground ball pitcher, so you just don't bring him in with runners on base. But I still trust him. Like I, he's going to do what he's going to do. So it's those three, then Phelps, then Garcia. Those are so those five pitchers I trust implicitly. Like if they're coming in, I trust them to pitch well. After that, geez. So the remaining pitchers in the bullpen right now are Matt Gage, Jeremy Beasley, Trent Thornton, and Trevor Richards, and I don't trust any of them. I think Thornton might be number one of that group, and then the other three I don't trust at all. So, yeah, uh, Jordan Romano, Tim Meza, Jimmy Garcia. Um, again, Adam Simber with the same caveat as you. Um, Phelps. Phelps. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Phelps is my guy in – in like any situation, I feel like um, he's the he's the he's the new Ross Stripling for the moment. Except he can't throw more than an inning, and I don't know enough about Jeremy Beasley and and Gage and like whoever will end up in there in the next three weeks because of shuffling things around. I just don't know enough about these guys. I know that they haven't ever stuck on a major league roster before. That's a hint as to whether I should trust them or not. So I guess I'll put Matt Gage ahead of Beasley and and Richards because Gage was pitching really well in the minors and he hasn't given up a run yet in his three innings in the majors. So until he pitches poorly, I have no reason to think he's as bad as I've seen those guys be. All right, <laughs> that was not an endorsement. That was like a no. like a that was like a subtweet. 
of the guys who were not Gage. No, um, it's just they, like Richards hasn't been good, and that's just yeah. and Beasley just isn't good. Um, wins and flosses at wins and flosses asks us: You're starting a franchise, and you get to pick a catcher from Kirk, Danny, Gabby, Gabby, and Adley. Uh, who are you taking? The catching prospect phenomena from the Orioles being Adley, correct? Yes, Adley Brushman, who just hit his first major league home run off Jose Brios. <laughs> it's still Rushman, <laughs> probably, but I don't know. Like Alejandro Kirk is making a case that it should be him because he's the best hitter of all of them so far, and he's turned into a really good defender. If he was built like any of the other three, it would be Alejandro Kirk, and I don't think it would be a question. But he's not built like any of the other three, and you have to question how that body's going to age a little bit. So I think it's still Rushman, but it's a lot closer than people would have said it would be at the beginning of the season. Um, I th- I think I'm I'm probably taking Kirk because of the combination of health and actual track record at this point. If I have to start the franchise, I'd rather go with the guy who I know has actually done something. Uh, as, as intriguing as the other guys might be. Yeah, I get that. Rush, the thing that also put Rushman over the edge in terms of why he was the number one prospect in baseball, he's a really good defensive catcher and he's a switch hitter who can hit from both sides of the plate. So mm. there's a lot of added value there. True. So anyway, but the, 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 this is an interesting enough question, even though it was probably a little tongue-in-cheek because it came from Gideon. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, speaking of tongue-in-cheek, uh, Andrew Rushbler at a-R-U-S-C-H-P-L-E-R says, team is hitting 266, 344, 443 for a 786 OPS since praying for Jobu to come. Has Jobu come? And I say, Jobu has come. He blessed the bats. He's taken beer from bats. <laughs> we offered him cigars and rum. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. And we, we don't care why it worked. It just worked. Um, yeah, so nobody out there in podcast land upset Joe Boo, please, and thank you. Except Weird. until we get to the playoffs, and then they can say, you know, we can have the Serrano moment where who, who's it's going to be like Teoscar Hernandez or something. Like he'll, he'll swing and miss at two breaking balls wildly, and then he'll tell Joe Boo, well, in words that we won't use in this podcast, <laughs> and then he'll go and hit a home run that leaves the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> it leaves it leaves somehow leaves uh the Rogers Center Skydome. Yeah. That's totally yeah. gonna happen. That's usually what happens. Uh we are gonna start with the do-overs because the do-overs are always more fun for me. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was The man they call TLR. Uh a legend in baseball history who retired and went to the Hall of Fame as a manager, and he should have stayed there. But he didn't. So this week, he's back managing the White Sox. Some sort of geriatric haze, I would have to believe. Uh, it is 7-5 Dodger. Um... The uh, Dodgers have a man on first and a one-two count on Trey Turner. So the, it, he got to second. It was 0-2 and there was a wild pitch and Freeman got to second. So it's uh, runner on second, open base. two out. Yeah. And it was uh, a left-handed pitcher on the mound. Two strikes on Trey Turner, who is left-handed. No, he's not. No, he's right-handed. So incredible strategy here. Tony Lewis intentionally walks in. 
to get to Max Munzee, who hits left-handed. Yeah. And then and Max Munzee hits a home run. <laughs> right. Uh, in a second, we're going to play some incredible audio, which is like a – it's not officially a gold star because we have other gold stars, but like it would get one. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the rare combination uh, do-over slash gold star. Um, yeah, but – so here's the thing. Trey Turner does crush left-handed pitching. Even with two strikes, he crushes left-handed pitching. And Larusa decided to cite this. It's like, well, have you seen his numbers with two strikes against lefties the last three years? Okay, they're actually quite good. Here's the thing. And he's, then he's like, and then Muncy with two strikes against lefties. There, Muncy, there was an oh-no count when Muncy, Muncy came up. And guess what Muncy did against lefties up until this year? He crushed them. <laughs> and he'd been hurt this year, so he hadn't been himself yet. <laughs> so anyway. It was do we, just do a, we think that 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 uh, Tony La Russa actually had the numbers or had someone mentioned to Tony La Russa on the bench that this Turner guy crushes lefties, even with two strikes, and he just – that idea popped into his head that he was going to look like a genius when he walked him and got Muncie out. That he, I think that, he probably knew that Turner crushes lefties because it's not really a secret that he does that. Yeah. But the two strikes thing, there's no way he had those numbers <laughs> at his disposal. <laughs> so uh, the Chicago broadcast was flabbergasted. Um, it was pretty funny. The, the phrase, can you explain that? And a long silence followed. But while they were discussing the incredibly, uh, you know, uh, difficult baffling? to un understand, yeah, baffling uh, uh, decision, you can hear the crowd, one individual in particular, um, in the background, listen, not for the announcers, but, but listen in the background here while Muncie takes his at bat. You're going to hear him twice. Typically, at two strikes, the league batting average is quite low. Oh, yeah. It is that. When was the last time you saw somebody intentionally walked on one and two? Doesn't happen often. Two strikes, Tony! <laughs> and there you have it. does, <laughs> Tony's Yeah, two strikes, Tony! Tony, what are you doing? Oh, it's, just, it's so loud and so great. And then Muncie hit a bomb. It just makes it even better. <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely ridiculous um i think it's funny because that's normally you yelling at your tv right yeah like, but no this guy tony could have heard this guy <laughs> it was actually possible wasn't going to change anything but he may have heard him uh <laughs> yeah that was uh that was good fun uh tony la Russa, don't please don't play games with with statistics and splits like that, if if you're gonna intentionally do it, just just intentionally walk, just just get it over with. Don't get cute. Uh, Joe Madden got fired for being cute. I think is what what we probably learned. So yep. it's only a matter of time for Tony. Amazing. Uh, that was do over number one, but that is not the do over I actually teased. I teased the do over of. <laughs> The Baltimore Orioles manipulating the replay challenge system in ways I've never seen before. Would you like to explain the setup on this one? Yeah, so I think it was Austin Hayes was up. Was it Austin Hayes or Mancini? I'm sorry. I, I can't remember who it was. I but think it, it was Mancini. I don't it know It was Mancini, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two strike count, and Manoa threw a high inside fastball that it looked like it was a check swing roller that was picked up, and then the throw to first pulled 
Guerrero off the bag. And he got back and they called him called him out. And then it's like Orioles are challenging. It's like, well, yeah, it makes sense that they're challenging. And like it wasn't even clear that he got back to the base. And then the umpire says, the Orioles are challenging that it was a hit by pitch. <laughs> and it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then they yeah, they go through the review. And then the 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 umpire comes back out and says, after after review, the ruling is overturned. The batter was hit by pitch, but he swung, <laughs> so the ball is dead, and it's strike three. <laughs> oh man! Like it, it is, it is a rule in baseball that if you get hit by a pitch that you're swinging at, that's you don't get first base. That's a well-established thing, especially if you put the ball in play. Um, that was a swing, folks. So if you're swinging at, at strike three, it's still strike three. Whether the ball hits you or not, that's not the ball's problem. How did you, like, I, I do love that they retain their challenge, though. So basically that was, but, thank you for wasting five minutes of everyone's time. <laughs> right. No, it's just, it's very clear what happened here. Brandon Hyde has Manoa on his fantasy team and he needed the extra strikeout. <laughs> that's what uh, it was. Okay, sure. That is the best theory I've got so far. So I guess the if there's a do-over, it's you have to you have to take the opposing players off of your fantasy team before you have a start. <laughs> <laughs> no gambling on baseball. You can put them on injured reserve. I'm sure that won't upset anybody. <laughs> that's, that's a whole different reference from four podcasts ago. Oh my goodness. Uh we will move. We will slide over to a well-deserved uh, gold star, as you do. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Former Blue Jay Liam Hendricks. Uh, this has nothing to do with him being a former Blue Jay, but I, I'm going to mention it like it, it, it counts. Um, he uh, has been a big advocate during Pride Month and for Pride Nights at the ballpark. Um, and then we found out a couple more tidbits about uh, the lengths to which Hendrix has gone to be an LGBTQIA ally. Would you like to elaborate in the tweet, Josh? Yeah, so the big one for them is that – so Liam Hendrix was a standout closer for the A's. Uh, he was 100 strikeouts a season, just complete lockdown guy. So when he hit free agency, he was very sought after. And – the first question he had for new teams or among the first, I'm sure it wasn't absolutely the first, but when they were courting him was that the question was, do you have a pride night? If they did not, he wasn't interested. That's, that's literally putting your money where your mouth is because some team could offer him huge money and he'd be like, you know what? No, I, I, I'm supporting this. And if you're not, I'm not going to play for you. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and it was he mentioned in a you know a follow up interview uh, on, on that sort of on pride, he raised the pride flag. Uh, I believe it was in Oakland, and he got a bunch of horrible, um, you know, homophobic tweets D and yeah, DMs, DMs, and all kinds of things, just for being supportive. So his his point, and I think his point is a salient one, is there are no currently. Um, out of the closet athletes in major league baseball. Um, and if he got that kind of unreasonable and homophobic blowback just for saying that it was okay for these people to exist and be fans of the sport and be around the sport, 
how unfair would it be and how difficult would it be to be an athlete, a gay athlete, uh, or, you know, anyone in that, that one of those categories, um, and actually come yeah, so, out and, and try and keep playing. Yeah. So the, the actual quote was, I can only imagine someone doing it and actually having to go through it themselves with already feeling slightly ostracized in a clubhouse where you don't know where people's allegiances lie. It's a scary thought and it's a scary world. And he's right. It's like, like there probably are some gay players. Like it's just crazy to think. Yeah, there exactly. have to be. Like the odds are very high that there are. And he's doing his best to try to make it so that it's a welcoming experience for them and clubhouse for them. And that's just great. Good for him. Yeah. And coming out and saying it out loud to the media is the place where it needs to be said. It can't just be said, you know, quietly to someone else on the bench. You know, I'd be okay if this or that. No, you, it, it, Again, that's what being an ally is about. So we are giving him the only thing we have, which is an imaginary gold star. Uh, but we'd be thrilled if he'd come on onto the podcast and accept it um, because it is absolutely well-deserved. Yep. That gets us to the end of the things I have written down that we are supposed to talk about. So I ask you, sir, because I don't usually write this one down. What is your final thought? <laughs> so last year, last year, wow, last podcast... We gave a do-over out to Joe Madden for his arguing with the reporter. <laughs> a new, new piece of news came out <laughs> that Joe Madden got a mohawk to surprise the players with to help break the losing streak. But the players never got to see it because he got fired before they got to go show it off. So he got a ridiculous, horrible haircut <laughs> as part of a... You know, just to loosen the guys up, and he never got to actually take advantage of it. So he just had to look like that. It's just one of the saddest ends to a managerial stint I could possibly imagine. That's it's just amazing. <laughs> rough. Twelve hours for Joe Madden. Um, Joe Madden also, or not Joe Madden. The, the the Angels also attempted by all walking up to Nickelback. I, I mean, I'm not a Nickelback hater or everything, but it did not break break the losing streak. And also, please don't everybody walk up to Nickelback. <laughs> they nobody, about, yeah nobody needs that much nickelback really the, the jokes honestly. are coming out like is it going to be creed tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness uh the reason why we're in such a good mood is because uh not only are the blues up but vlad just hit another bomb so uh we're gonna send you off into the sunset with that by saying that uh you have been joshua Housem and joshua Housem. And I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead20. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 239. And we'll talk at you next week.